powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now on the Bump and Stacy show is Pro Football Focus lead draft analyst Trevor Sigma. Trevor. That time of the year, man. This is where you shine, man. How excited are you about this draft coming up? Oh, it's awesome. And you're right. This is uh, this is my favorite time of year. You know, we're we're just past All Star season with the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl, kind of in the rearview mirror. So a lot of film to evaluate there. And we're about to get into the combine, which is one of my favorite events that happens the entire football year. We get to obviously see how athletic these guys are, get some official measurements, but also it's a great time to. Uh, Hit the rumor mill a little bit, you know, get out on the town, talk to some insiders, talk to some team people and see what these NFL teams are thinking as well. So it's an exciting time of year, man. Yeah, man, uh, this is when speculation and gossip is at its all-time high, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Senior Bowl. You know, there's always a lot of names that uh, you look at going into the Senior Bowl. For us, obviously, here in Washington, we're looking at Michael Penix, Bo Nix. Um, but uh, is there a guy that um, exceeded your expectations when you break down his performance and in, um, in the relationships that he built over that week? Yeah, I mean, uh, plenty. You know, there's there's a lot of guys that I think really help themselves. And as somebody who's, you know, local to y'all's area as well, you know, Jackson Powers Johnson, the interior offensive lineman from Oregon, the one-year starter there in that program. But he came in and he showed that he could be dominant not just at center but also as guard as well. I love that aspect of the event where you get some of these players that, that okay, is he is he best here? Is he best there? And the senior bowl coaches, they'll put him in both spots. You know, they'll make sure that they get – uh, a lot of reps in both those areas to see if they can make a decision. So obviously he is somebody I think who really stood out in that area, staying along the offensive line. I think Tyler Guyton, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma, uh, Christian Jones, the offensive tackle from Texas, like those two guys I thought were awesome. Christian Haynes, the interior offensive lineman from UConn, very similar to uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, where he had a really good week, played guard or center. Got some skill position dudes that absolutely showed up. I mean, Quinion Mitchell, the corner from Toledo, might have played himself into the cornerback one maybe top 10 conversation with how locked down he was in mobile and you know wide receivers guys like roman wilson ricky pearsall lad mcconkey uh jamari thrash i mean these dudes really helped their stock it's a great year to need a wide receiver as well but i feel like the list could go on and on there's a lot of players that really help themselves this year like they do every year yeah, man, I uh, appreciate you uh, giving us some insight there, man. Love hearing about not necessarily underdogs because they are invited to the, to the Senior Bowl, but guys who uh, who help themselves. But uh, let's shift over to the draft, man. Um, this is something that we felt like was going to happen a couple years ago. Caleb Williams is uh, supposed to be the number one pick. We all assume that's going to happen. But the dramas with Justin Fields and the Bears and all that, I know everyone has their theories. I've heard uh, plenty of Plenty of theories out there from Jeff Saturday to our guys here over here at uh, at Seattle Sports. What what do you think goes down with that number one pick and Justin Fields and, and what moves are going to be made? Yeah, I do think ultimately they're going to settle in on Caleb Williams. And to me, that just makes the most sense. You know, you look at Justin Fields and, yeah, he improved this past year. And I don't want to take anything away from him in that improvement. But he still did not play at franchise quarterback, playoff quarterback level. So if you're sitting here and saying, okay, well, it's going to be a risk that he will continue to elevate to get to that point. Why would you not just take the risk over a player like Caleb Williams who gives you a uh, very high ceiling, a potential top five quarterback ceiling from what we've seen from him in college football. And he gets to reset that rookie contract window, which is very, very important. Anytime you have a franchise caliber and NFL starter playing on a rookie quarterback at the quarterback position, it's one of the most valuable things, not just in football, but in sports. 
because of the uh, the rookie wage scale that we have. So to me, that alone makes the most sense for them to go with Caleb Williams at number one, which I think they will end up doing. And then as for Fields, yeah, there's some been some reports I think over the last couple of months over what Chicago can get for him in a trade. I've seen things as high as I remember Mel Kuyper said maybe he gets as high as number eight overall. Atlanta trades the eight overall pick to go get Justin Fields. I don't think the market is there at that kind of a price. I'm, I'm looking more at maybe two third round picks, maybe one second round pick if a team is even going to offer that second round pick. So you got to think about this. Yeah, sure, Fields is talented, but you've got to get him in your system. He's got to have success in your system. And then you got to sign to a long term contract in two years if he plays well. Now, obviously, if he plays great, you're okay with that because you got a franchise quarterback, but just a ton of risk there, and I don't think that risk is worth um, the price of, of, of paying a first-round pick for him. So ultimately, I think that you know, teams like Pittsburgh, uh, teams like uh, the Atlanta Falcons, these are organizations that I think are in the mix to trade for him, but I don't think that price is going to be as high as people once thought it was. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, man. Um, going back to Caleb Williams, I heard Merle Hodge say something, and, and it kind of had me scratching my head a little bit. He goes, Caleb Williams is not special, and he was comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, which is I think is a sin. You don't compare anybody to Patrick Mahomes. He's his own guy. I covered Caleb Williams with the Pac-12 Network for a couple of years, and I think he is special. When he says he isn't special, what do you think he's referring to, and what would be your scouting report on Caleb Williams? Yeah, I wonder if it's just kind of the decision-making that we've seen on the field. You know, certainly this past year, you look at that middle of the field, there are about three or four games where things started to kind of unravel for him. But I think if you just look at that, it's not really taking a lot of context into into account. That defense was so bad at USC that I think Caleb Williams went into every single game thinking, if I don't score a touchdown on every drive that I touch the ball, uh, we might lose the game. And that's a sad reality, but I feel like that went into the high time to throw. Uh, the turnover-worthy plays that he had, like I said, during that middle stretch of the year. But really, outside of those three or four games, you look at the whole picture going back to 2021, 2022, as well as the rest of 2023, uh, this has been a special quarterback. This is somebody with all the talent in the world. And um, I don't know, maybe Merrill is also talking about some potential character concerns with him. And here's the thing that I would say about that with Caleb Williams. The only tangible reports that I've ever heard about him is that he's a great kid, is that people in Oklahoma and USC see the work ethic, see the drive, see uh, how he wants to be one of the best to ever play the game. And I think you've seen that in his production over the last couple of years. I think a lot of these rumors of, oh, he's going to you know, pull an Eli Manning and say that he won't go to Chicago or he's not going to go to a team unless they give him equity or yeah, just stuff like this. I mean, those I, I, there's no like tangible reports that those are – actually a thing i think that those just caught fire because they're negative reports and unfortunately when we know that negative news and and, and negativity travels a lot f- further and a lot faster than positivity does so I, that's really all i can see is like maybe it's the turnover worthy plays and the de- decisions but there's context to that that i think answers those questions and then when it comes to the character concerns man again the only tangible con- reports that i have from people that i've talked to is that it's the opposite of some of these crazy rumors that are being thrown out there Right. Tough times for these these guys, man. They're being dissected like crazy. Um, uh, Before I get to the situation here in Seattle, I'm going to stick with quarterbacks for one more question. Um, You got the commanders at number two. You have New England at number three. Everyone assumes that they're going to go and get their quarterback right. I think Sam Howell played decent for the commanders, uh, but didn't get it done. Uh, What quarterback do you think fits? Because there's some changes over there, right? You got new head coach with both of these uh, these organizations. Do you see a, a perfect fit? Um, or, or do you think a curveball will be thrown in, in picks two and three? 
I still think that Drake May should be the pick at number two. You know, as of late, I think a lot of people have been, I don't know if it's just lower on May or maybe just higher on Daniels. I think Daniels coming off a Heisman Trophy season, I think he'd be fantastic as well. But uh, May, over the last two seasons, did the most big-time throws in our system over any quarterback in the FBS. I mean, this is somebody who is not afraid to go over the middle of the field, attack the middle of the field. Um, I think he can go through layered concepts. I think he's got great accuracy when it comes to out of structure. You know, is it consistent? Is it pinpoint? No, but I think that you can really hone in on a lot of that stuff. And you got to remember, this guy's just a true junior. He's still young. He's still right. kind of figuring it out. And for him to be kind of judged on a, well, it's perfection or nothing uh, level is a little unfair to him. I think that May has shown all of the talent in the world to be a franchise quarterback. So I, I would still be taking him at two. And then to your point, I think Daniel should be right after that at number three. New England cannot go into this upcoming season with Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi as a starter. I mean, that just cannot happen. So unless they do something to fix that in free agency, maybe go get a Kirk Cousins, uh, this one's basically got to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback for me. Were you surprised in the the improvement with, with Jaden Daniels? He was over there with Arizona State, obviously, and you saw the potential in this young man, but he goes down to LSU and just becomes just a superstar that he is. Did you see that happening, or do you think that was a result of just a player being in a comfortable system and, and just being able to be himself? No, I, I, I did not see this happening. I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, when I watched him at Arizona State, he was a nice dual threat, but, you know, slender build as he kind of still is now when he was coming out as a uh, as a freshman and a sophomore with Arizona State. And you know, he was mainly more of a runner when he was with the Sun Devils. And it was kind of like, all right, well, he'd be a part of the rushing attack, and that would you know, bring the, the, the safeties down a little bit. That would crowd the box. And then he had the arm to take the deep shots. But it's not like he was going through his progressions, really reading the field. Uh, and really being a true dual threat, it was kind of like a one-and-one situation for him when he was at Arizona State. Transfers over to LSU, and you could tell he made a very conscious effort that first year with the Tigers to get better at, at decision-making and really hone in on those turnover-worthy plays, bring that down. And the result was he had one of the lowest turnover-worthy play rates of any starting quarterback, not just in the SEC, but in all of college football. And so that, that worked for him. But then we got to a point where, all right, well, you're, you're not turning the ball over as much, but the average depth of target is way down, the big-time throws are way down, so you're just not throwing the ball in general. This past year, he was kind of marrying the best of both worlds. He said, all right, now I've become a better decision-maker. It's time to show people that I can still be a gunslinger with that. And I think that he exactly did that, uh, and he became a better rusher as well. Uh, needs, to, uh, needs to not get – hit nearly as much the way that he did this past year. I mean, we need him to stay upright. We need him to not fumble the football. But um, there are things that he needs to work on. But I'm going to be honest. He went into this year probably as a day three pick by most teams, by most media outlets. And now we're talking about him as a number three overall pick and deservingly so for the year he had. Yeah, the climb, the climb has been crazy watching that young man. We're speaking to Trevor Sikama, Pro Football Focus, lead draft analyst. All right, let's get to the Seattle Seahawks, number 16 um, on on the board here in the first round, man. And uh, lots of changes going on over here. Obviously, new head coach, new OC, new DC. Um, you have Geno Smith, who people view as a bridge quarterback, but I think he's one of the best bridge quarterbacks if that's what he is. I look at this 16 spot, Trevor, and um, my co-host Stacy and I, I think we've been leaning towards, okay, you go and get the best defensive player that is available. If you are the GM, I want you to put that cap on. What do you do with that number 16 pick, and do you feel like the Seahawks address the quarterback spot at some point during this draft? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've thought about it because there are a handful of quarterbacks that are in this draft that you can draft somewhere 
on day two, you know, outside of day three investments. I mean, if you're, I, I get it. You know, Tom Brady's story exists. Brock Purdy just made it to the Super Bowl is Mr. Relevant. But let's be honest. If you've got quarterback on the board at all, and you're not addressing that somewhere in the top 100, you might as well not even really be drafting one. I, the, the, the percentage of them hitting is so low. So you get Seattle, they've got that pick at number 16, and then they've got two third-round selections, don't have a second-round selection, right around pick 80. I, I, I like the idea of them going best defensive player available, specifically on the trenches side of things. Like I think if a Latu Latu or a Jared Verse or a uh, Dallas Turner is an edge rusher, any of those guys – are available at 16. I think they, they could be good picks. Same with interior defense line. If a, a Jerzon Newton from from Illinois or a Byron Murphy from Texas, if they're on the board, I think that you go that direction. But outside of that, I'd probably go interior offensive line if those guys aren't available there because this interior offensive line class, I think, is really solid. You've got guys like Troy Fontenot, who played left tackle with the Washington Huskies, who I think is probably going to move more inside. You've got Graham Barton, who, again, played left tackle at Duke over the last two years, but he's probably going to get to kick inside. Maybe Jackson Powers Johnson himself is a um, homebodied interior offensive lineman. To me, I'd look trenches for them when I look at pick 16 as, as the way to go on either side of the ball. All right, man, we got to talk about Michael Penix. He's a, an interesting prospect to me. You see the talent out there. Um, obviously, the Michigan game did not help his case. And every mock draft I look at or just analysis of Michael Penix, we see him slipping further and further um, into the draft. It's the second day, maybe second, third round. What's your scouting report on him? And is it as simple as just his injury history that's um, uh, hindering teams from taking a shot on this guy? What, what are you seeing? No, I'm actually – Honestly, the injury history worries me the least with him. He's played two years fully healthy, and so I, I get it. Those injuries happen. you got to think about them. But if it was just the injuries, I'd, I'd think about taking this guy you know, back into round one, early round two. But unfortunately for Penix, I feel like it's more than that. He's got a howitzer of an arm. I mean, he's got some of the best velocity and distance that you'll see. Um, but Though the accuracy scores are there for him, the true ball placement sometimes eludes him. And I think that that also comes from an unorthodox throwing motion overall. There are times when the footwork just is not married up with uh, how his upper body is trying to throw the ball in his throwing motion. And because of that, you just have – he's missing. He's missing by a little bit. And I think you've seen some crazy acrobatic throws from guys like Jalen Polk and Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan over the years – and you go, you go marvel at that. You go, wow, what a catch. But then you think to yourself, well, hold on. Some of those, they didn't need to be that difficult. And it felt like the reason why is because when Penix has to take some heat off of passes, he struggles with that ball placement when it comes to the touch. And I think that that goes into the longer arms, the extended throwing motion, the natural sidearm instead of really the over-the-top. And uh, like I said, a lot of times – his feet aren't married up with, with his hands. And when the ball is coming out of his hand, and I think you just see a lack of ball placement because of that, that is something that worries me the most is the lack of comfort when it comes to throwing with touch and the lack of that true ball placement. Because at the NFL, I mean, it's just those passes, if they're not pinpoint more often than they're not, they're getting either tipped or, or, or even worse intercepted. There's turnovers there. And so uh, for Penix, that is ultimately why I, I see him as more of that day two pick. I probably feel, you know, with the injury history, I wonder if the NFL is going to say, okay, this is probably a third round guy, even instead of a second round guy. But uh, that's the way that uh, that's the way that it looks like it's predicting right now for Penix. 
is Trevor Sikkim, a pro football focused lead draft analyst. Good stuff, man. We appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, some drama in San Francisco. What do you think is the best move for the Niners this offseason in regards to wide receiver Brandon Ayuk? One, you shouldn't have fired Steve Wilkes. Goodness gracious, scapegoat. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Um, this is about what they should do. Because, look, we talk about the 49ers. Their window is closing pretty fast, right? You got to make a decision with Ayuk, Kittle, and Samuel. Now, you could extend Ayuk this year, but then you're going to lose some money. You're going to have to let go Kittle or Debo Samuel. So what I say they do now this year, um, he's due to make $14 million in 2024. Had a, a career year, 1,300 yards. He was an all-pro guy. 300 more yards than Kittle. 400 more yards than Samuel. Right, no doubt this dude is a baller. Now, Kittle's going to require about $21 million. And then Samuel's going to require about 28.6 when it's time for them to get paid next year. So this is what I do. If I am the 49ers, I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting still. Brandon Ayuk, you play out this year. We got one more run at this thing, and then we'll figure out what's going to happen because Brock Purdy's getting paid $900,000 this year. He's going to be, he's going to make about, he's going to be about $45 million a year once his contract is up, if he keeps doing what he's doing. So I love the drama in San Francisco, even though I think Wilkes is a scapegoat. But look at, I look at their personnel, and you know it's not going to last. You know this group is not going to stay together forever. So if I'm them, I'm just letting everything sit. You settle, you wait till next year, and then you figure some things out. But uh, the 49ers could look a bit different here in a couple of years. Second down. You see a real opportunity for a new offensive coordinator. Who is it and what is it? It's weird, man. I was watching uh, TV the other day, and I remember remember John Gruden's quarterback camps used to have, drive around on the bus. You get these guys in the RV and you talk football. There's a coordinator out there that's worked with uh, Baker Mayfield, Mahomes, Menzel, Kyler Murray, Caleb Williams. Who am I talking about? You know what I'm talking about? No, I was initially going to guess Dave Canales, and then the list started getting smaller <laughs> and smaller. Who? I'm talking about Cliff Kingsbury. Like, he has an opportunity here. Don't be a head coach anymore. Be an offensive coordinator. But you just look at the names that he's connected to. I go, he could be the next quarterback guru, especially with the second pick in the draft, even if he's not really a quarterback guru. The names that he's connected with, right? You got a couple Heisman Trophy winners. You got the best to ever do it, in in some people's opinion. Um, And you got Caleb Williams. We'll see what happens. They got the number two pick with the Washington Commanders. That is who he's with. I'm looking at this situation and I go, whichever quarterback you draft with that number two pick, if Cliff Kingsbury is able to make this guy competitive, make him look good, he can say this, look at my resume. Forget me being a head coach that didn't work out. You look at my resume, I know how to coach up these quarterbacks. He could be the next guru in this in the NFL. We look at Frank Reich as one of those guys. Um, didn't have a good stint over there with the Panthers, so that kind of fills it off. John Gruden was supposed to be the guy. He got caught up in all that email stuff with uh, the Washington Commanders and whatnot. I'm looking at Cliff, and I go, look, man, if this doesn't work out for you in the NFL being a coordinator, you can just be that guy and train these quarterbacks because you might not like his style. You might not think he's a leader. Uh, you, you might think it was corny for him to to mention that that painting on the wall that you always uh, it was. reference. Lion, uh, I'm a Leo, so self-explanatory. So, so, so that's that. <laughs> Right? So that's that on that. But there's something that he does know. He knows the quarterback position. When he was in college, he had a year where he threw like 40 touchdowns. So, hey, hate on Cliff all you want. I, will. I see a business opportunity, Cliff. If you need an agent, I'll take that 3% and run with it. He could be that guy. Third down. 
What do you know and like about the Seahawks' new wide receiver coach, Frisman Jackson? Jackson. So uh, he was with the Titans in 2017. The main receivers over there at that time were Matthews and Eric Decker. Remember Eric Decker, man, had a nice little run with the Broncos, had a reality TV he had a show. Moment, uh, had a reality TV show. Now I think his wife is, like, more famous than him. Good for him. Yeah. That's how, that's how he's supposed so to be. they got it. a great little family. Yeah, good family. Um, 2018 through 19, he was with Baylor. Uh, Mims was over there. They were 19th in the country when it came to passing. In 2020 to 2021, he's with the Panthers. Had Adam Thielen and DJ Moore. And then this past year, in 2022 and 20 through 23, he's with the Steelers. Um, you got Pickens over there. Uh, Claypool was over there as well. Uh, so here's the thing, right? He's been around the block. He's been in the league for a while. But here's the thing I like about him the most, undrafted free agent. I saw that and I go, my man. <laughs> undrafted free Asian and made the most out of this situation. And again, he's 44 years old. Again, another young guy. So not only has he been around the block, he's uh, coached in the college game. He's coached for the Titans, the Panthers, and the Steelers. The only knock was that people were saying that the uh, receivers in Pittsburgh had attitude problems. He didn't draft those receivers. Yeah. All right, That's not up to him. That's up to Mike Tomlin and everybody else that's going on over there. But um, he's well-versed, man. He's worked with older receivers. He's worked with younger receivers, and he's been in the college game. And he's a great Grinder, undrafted free agent to be where he is now. Um, salute to that dude. But yeah, that's what I, I like about him. That he seems like um, he made the most out of an opportunity and has built a great career and he's experienced. So I wonder how he's going to connect with the receivers on this, uh, this roster. Fourth down. You've been studying Ryan Grubb's offense. What are some of the things you like about it? One, he does a good job running the football and when you think of Grubbs offense you don't think of what he does in the run game and what he does is there's a lot of guard tackle pulls there's a lot of counter looks and those counter looks it freezes the linebackers and the safeties that get their eyes in the backfield and then he combines the counter looks when you're pulling two guys a guard and a tackle maybe even a tight end to kick out that end and get up to the second level with your guard um, he puts the jet sweep behind it he does a lot of the misdirection that we love about the Rams and the 49ers and then also he'll give you multiple looks formations and run the same play right and he'll sauce it up he'll give you a mesh concept with a tight bunch to the right single receiver to the left he'll swing the running back to the left side um and and the quarterbacks look well coached in the system i'll talk about michael Penix. he's always going to look at that running back first to expand uh, the the coverage out there and develop these storm these passing lanes for uh polk and Mc, uh, mcmillan and all those guys over there so he ha does a great job of understanding how to expand the defense and create that space and give you the same play out of multiple looks. Pennis look really coached up in that scheme, man. Does a good job with the running backs and the tight ends. That's why I look at the tight end group, too, and I go, how are you going to use these guys? Because there are times where you come out there in a 12 personnel and a 13 personnel with the University of Washington, and you're using the tight ends in the blocking scheme, and now you're releasing a tight end up the middle. You're swinging the back to the left. The more I look at this offense, the more I see a guy who understands spacing. And of course he does. He's an NFL offensive coordinator now but don't just fall in love with the pass game the way he dresses up the run game and gets these offensive linemen and titans involved it's fun to watch is impressive so I'll, I'll keep watching more film on this guy grub man but it looks good so far you're listening to bump and stacy on seattle sports and the seattle sports app rob manfred really putting his foot his foot in his mouth again that's next This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUI-AWAY. It's The 
the timeline on Bump and Stacy. Reading you the top stories you're going to see and hear about on your own timelines. And we are going to get started with Rob Manfred really stepping in it this time. Rob Manfred on Thursday, this was yesterday, was talking about um, Oakland fans and obviously the A's leaving, uh, going to Vegas. And he's asked, like, well, how are you still going to serve Oakland baseball fans? <laughs> Fortunately, mm. Rob Manfred had one of his most out-of-touch moments by saying, first of all, we do have a major league team in the Bay Area. It's not like there's not an available option. The Giants obviously still play there. Now, that is like telling <laughs> a Yankees fan or a Giants fan that the Mets and Jets could be options, or really more vice versa, like telling Jets and Mets fans, well, the Giants, hello. Now, um, it's like telling Raider fans to cheer for the Niners. It's just, the idea is, yes, geographically, that is the team mm-hmm. closest to them. That come is on. also a rival and a team that's hated by many come Oakland on, fans. Like, come on, man. You got you to gotta know these things. You have to run your ideas through somebody before you go out there and you speak that nonsense, it's man. That's so uh, dismissive. That's crazy. Like, I mean, technically, you're right. It's the Bay, right? Same team. They're a bridge away from each other, but it's different. You walk those streets. I want you to walk through downtown San Francisco um, during the Super Bowl with a Raiders jersey on and tell me how you are received. That should let you know right there just the difference, man. I go to San Francisco 15 times a year. And there is a clear divide. They don't rock with the A's. Oakland don't rock with them. There's a, there's a line, man. Yeah. Rob Manfred has to be. I don't even think Roger Goodell is as out of touch as Rob Manfred. Nah. You guys agree? I Curtis? agree. I, I think, I think yeah. Rob just, I mean, I think uh, Roger just plays dumb sometimes. Roger has a tough, all of them have a tough job. You are uh, a servant to obviously the fans and to players and to the league as a whole, but really to the owners. And the owners are a mm-hmm. bunch of billionaires that want things their way. So that's the kind of case for any of the commissioners. There's something about Rob Manfred that just is especially icky sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's dirty. I mean, it, you know, it, for me, it just stems back to the uh, old cheating allegations with the uh, that, that team in Houston. Calling it a the piece of metal. Piece of metal. Um, not holding them accountable. Uh, yeah, there's some there are a lot of things that he's done, but over the past that sticks out to me. And then him just not being in touch with the the fan base that you are responsible for entertaining is crazy to me. I think of um, him kind of laughing when announcing that the lockout was going to be happening because of uh, the ongoing uh, labor negotiations and um and then I also think of him practicing his golf swing on the landing. Do you guys remember that? I don't. It was like oh, yeah, during yeah, yeah. during uh, MLB's lockout when everything was going on with the uh-huh. CBA and all that stuff. Rob Manfred was there in person, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be like you're supposed to be working towards someone, and he just seemed so casual. And someone caught him on camera practicing a golf swing on a landing. Now, in theory, maybe you're bored, you're standing around. Hey, let me you know. Let me tell you about practicing sure. your golf swing. You'll anywhere, anytime. Doesn't matter. However, my, my wife was giving birth. And uh, nothing, you know, nothing's happening yet. So I'm sitting there just what? making sure the weight is transferring properly. <laughs> you slide into the pocket hang at on, the right time. On. Was was Jen in labor when well, this sure, happened? I mean, she was, I guess she was in labor. Yeah, she was in labor. <laughs> but you know, it takes like 14 <laughs> hours. 14 hours. So for 14 hours, I can't practice my golf swing. I mean, Rob, lock it in. But I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> 
this took such an unexpected turn. <laughs> Iowa star Caitlin Clark passed Kelsey Plum's all-time NCAA scoring record last night with a 40-foot shot from the logo. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? women's college basketball she needed just eight points to surpass the record and of course she got it done less than three minutes into the game she finished the day with 49 my girl is averaging 32 points a game uh they did the math and they said she should uh pass maravich who is the uh, all-time leading scorer in college uh, basketball man or woman she should pass him up yeah i think they said march 3rd but let's also point out, too, she leads the country in assists as well with 8.5. Like she She's getting her buckets, but she's dropping them dimes, too. And she pulled up from the logo on some Dame Dollar stuff. Goodness yeah. gracious. Can't wait to see what she does in the WNBA. It's going to be very, very cool. We were just debating. Uh, there's an ongoing debate. Shaq said that she's the best uh, women's college hoops players he's, he's seen play. Jamel Hill then responded and said she's one of the best. But there's a couple other women that, uh, in her mind, have that crown. I don't know. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. It's hard, not ignoring legacy, but it's hard not to look at just the numbers and say, well, she's got to be top, what, three? At least. Yeah. At le- yeah she's but. doing something that no one else has ever done before. It's almost like when like people look at someone's athletic ability and say, okay, they're a better player, but this person has better stats. I look at her and I go, shooters are going to be fine in whatever game they play, whatever level, because you're going to find your spot and get open. But, yeah, she, she's got to get to the WNBA and uh, improve some things. But as far as college basketball, the numbers say she's the best to ever do it. All right, next up, Micah Parsons uh, reportedly crossed up Stephen A. Smith so hard at yesterday's NBA Celebrity All-Star Game practice that Stephen A. had to be put in an ankle brace. Here's Molly Karam. This was not confirmed by Adrian Wojnarowski, Adam Schefter, but this is this is what I was told by Stephen A. If he wants to change the story when he gets here, that's fine. But this is what I understand. Stephen A. Smith is one of the coaches in the Celebrity All-Star Game tonight alongside our guy Shannon Sharp. It's going to be Epic TV, right? Absolutely. Sponsored by Ruffles. So yesterday, S.A. had to get out there, get out to Naptown early, and they had a practice. So he started messing around with Micah Parsons, of all people, one of the guys on his team, obviously a Dallas Cowboy. Micah crossed him over, and all I know is Stephen A's at the hospital right now getting x-rays. So I'll let him tell you the rest of the details <laughs> oh my when goodness. he gets here. Monica, we're going to have some fun with this. The Cowboys had something to say. They had something yeah. to say to Stephen A. Yeah. The fact that my man went to the hospital to get x-rays lets you know how vicious that crossover was. Let me tell you, you what. Sprained, I've sprained my ankle plenty of times. And, oh, it's a sprained ankle. It's going to hurt for a little bit. But I've never sprained it so bad to where I'm like, take me to the hospital. I got to see what's going on. Um yeah, Stephen A. Not, not, not a good look. Have you had an old man injury yet? This morning. Yeah, what was that? I'm jogging on the incline. Oh yeah. And I feel some <laughs> bite my calf. I'm like, what the heck is that? I'm stopping is there right a dog now. In here? What's going on? Goodness gracious! Got to be careful. Got to be careful out there. Yeah, I haven't had. I haven't had my moment. Well, except for that one time I fell down the stairs. I already saw Curtis reaching for his mic. Yeah. Let's, uh, and I knew. You fell up let's the stairs. Give these I people fell, the truth. No, well, I, I fell. I, I forget which direction. You were going up. I was I remember going, hearing this. I was going up and I was wearing socks and I fell and the stairs hit my back and when I landed on the ground I thought what if I'm dead. <laughs> and I've never thought that about anything but I literally laid there and I was like 
I've never been in this. This is how it ends. This is what if this is how it ends. And I had to text you, Curtis, and Jake at the time and say, I can't come in yet. I'm not okay. <laughs> so you didn't go in that day? No, I did, but I didn't move for 15 minutes. I just it was laid. Her Jordan flu game. Yeah, it was like Reed coming I laid, on the floor. I laid on the floor Lipping of off. my kitchen, which is where the stairs lead into, not moving. And then after a while, I started shopping on my phone on Amazon, and I was like, okay, I think I'm okay. <laughs> but you know, you know when after a while you're like, oh, whoa, what am I doing? I got to get... <laughs> I got to keep it moving. I got to go into work. Uh, all right. Next up here. Speaking of uh, basketball, Cougs head basketball coach Kyle Smith, not impressed. Why? Uh, last night's attendance figures uh, for the Beasley Coliseum uh, was only around 2,700. This is despite the Cougs being half a game back of the conference lead. Hopefully uh, we, no one has any skiing plans this weekend and they come out at 3 o'clock on Saturday and uh, Hopefully we get a chance to get that one done and, you know, those whatever. It's just it should be everyone should be out of these things. A few more than 2,700. Darn it. (laughs) That hurts. All right. I'm not even a coog. And I'm like, get out there. What are you doing? Half a game back? Half a game back of the Wildcats? Back in my day, (laughs) we packed Beasley. We, uh, I mean, we we what. beat the Zags one time, Stanford. I mean, you got to show support, and the support has to come from the locals and the students. Uh, you're not going to get too many people driving 75, 80 miles from Spoke Compton. You're not going to get too many people crossing the borders from Idaho to come over there to Beasley and support this team. So I put it on the locals and the students. You have to show up to support this team. The last year of the Pac-12, and they're making a run at this thing. Uh-huh. Let's show them some love, man. Come on. Trying to find – so you've got uh, USC – end of February, but the next home game is tomorrow. I don't know what everyone's doing, but Stanford tomorrow, 3 p.m., go there, be there, or be square. Square. Thank you, Curtis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or be at home watching the game on television no, supporting? No, no, <laughs> be there in person. If you heard that story and you thought, I feel so bad for those players, I feel so bad for Coach Smith, oh my God, this team is half a game back of leading the conference in men's hoops and only 2,700 people showed up, and you understand why only 2,700 people did because they were bad for a while. Well, they're not right now. So go up in in support if you live they, uh, close enough to drive. That USC game that you mentioned, Stacey. February they, 29th. There was a Wazoo like donor event that was supposed to go on at the same night, I think in Spokane, right? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, bump. And they moved that donor event to another night to make sure that all the people that would be going to that would show up to the USC game. Listen to me now. I'm sorry for my voice. <laughs> Thursday, February 29th, okay? I want to, on Friday, one of the news stories that I want to be covering better be that there was more than 2,700 people there. Facts. It's going down. Make it happen. Go Cougs. Let's get to 28. Come on. Quest for 2,800. Let's say it with me now. Uh, all right, you guys. We, I'm sorry, when I went over here, um, are the C, oh, just quickly, the IRG injury report brought to you by IRG Physical and Hand Therapy. Mariners reliever Gregory Santos will not be throwing off a mound to start spring training. Unfortunately, he experienced some lat soreness after a bullpen session this week. We're going to switch the Mariners very quickly, or excuse me, Seahawks very quickly here. The Hawks going to run it back at quarterback in 2024. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost.
biggest pet peeves, the drugs are hidden, Bump. They're really hidden. Someone texted in, we were talking about Caitlin Clark. Normally I wouldn't say it, but I've got a lot of his anti-histamine, anti-prohistamines, who cares, in my system. Uh, and uh, someone, we were talking about Caitlin Clark. They said, bro, it's girls versus girls. What's your point? That she's a baller? What's your point? Why can't you just let someone be great? Yeah. Why can't anyone ever just let someone be great? Like, I know that we were just talking about, you know, hey, is Mahomes the GOAT or is Brady the GOAT? That's an entirely different conversation. It's a hypothetical, fun sports conversation where there's truly no wrong answer because both of them are great players. Um, if you come out and say, Caitlin Clark's phenomenal. Well, who cares? She'd, be get, she'd get beat by LeBron. She'd never last in the NBA. She's not going to play in the NBA. Who cares? Let someone be great. Just appreciate greatness. school Every single person listening to this She'd show. dunk on you, that's for sure. She but also, dunking. Well, no, but I'm saying, like, oh. I'm, I'm saying <laughs> for, for whoever's no texting in, this 425, whoever's texting in, like, I promise you. She's nice. I, and listen, just she, let it, let her got, be her. Yeah, she's got a jumper. Like, you got a jumper in basketball, you play on any level. She's pulling up on the just, logo. Just, just. So appreciate her greatness. What I don't get is why there's always a need to say to to no one came out and said Caitlin Clark is the best person to ever pay, play basketball on the face of the planet. All anyone was talking about is she set a new scoring record uh, for women in the NCAA. Isn't that cool? Just let that be great. Good for her. Yeah. End of story. Like, why do you need to quantify it with something else? I just, I can't, I hate that sometimes in sports, we can't just let people be great. Because that person's insecure about something. That's maybe. exactly what it is. It's yeah. weird insecurities that you got to let go. I'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> we're going to have Robert Turbin join us in about 10 minutes before we get to it. Are the Seahawks going to run it back at quarterback in 2024? The reason we talk about it. Um, this was inspired by a tweet I saw from ESPN's Brady Henderson. OC Ryan Grubb and Mike McDonald twice have mentioned Drew Locke's name almost unsolicited in addition to Geno when they were talking about the quarterback or when they were asked about just Geno Smith. Uh, is this bump just coaches kind of throwing out everyone's name so no one feels left out and you're kind of trying to say the right thing? Or do you think this coaching staff is looking at Drew, who's about to become an unrestricted free agent, and Gino as definitely being the two guys again in 2024? I think they're looking at Gino like that. And the perfect backup to a quarterback is a quarterback who's been in that system and who understands it and who's even gotten some snaps, right? Now, here's the, the kicker, new system, right? But you have a proven starter, and you have a guy who was a starter, but has shown that he can fill a void for a couple games if need be. I think they're looking at Gino for exactly what he is, a guy that has two more years left on his contract and can be the person to lead the way for the start of this new era. It's rare that you uh, you get a new head coach or a new staff and you get a quarterback that, that rides out with you for six, seven, eight years. That hardly happens in the NFL. I'd say there's about six, seven guys in the league every year who have that that uh, capability and that privilege to do that. So I think they're looking at this situation and, and going, Geno's our guy. We got bigger things to do. Like Let's not worry about the quarterback. The quarterback has shown that he can play in the league. You heard Ryan Grubb talk about Geno, and he goes back to the 2022 year. Didn't really focus on 23. Yeah. But he goes, look, he was, what, 68% completion percentage. He threw 30 touchdowns. Grubb has watched the film, and he's seen Geno and likes what he sees, I think. But I think that they're also saying he's our guy for now, <clears throat> but eventually you got to go get a guy. So, no. 
They're going to run it back, and I think they should run it back. If you can keep Drew Locke, go ahead and keep Drew Locke, right? But I also think that Drew Locke should go out and search for more because he wants to be a starter in this league. He was a starter and was okay at times as a starter. So I think they'll run it back with Geno for sure. The question is going to be Drew Locke. Is there a part of you that's just tempted to swap out one or the other? I know that for you it would be swapping out Drew for you know, like a rookie project kind of quarterback. But um, I think there are some people that say, uh, I didn't love the quarterback situation. Like if you're going to make a change at coach and if you're going to make a change with your culture and all these things, why not bring in a new quarterback with one of Gino or Drew being a bridge guy? But I don't know how excited people are about both. I don't mind both being back here. No, me either. Um, you don't bring in a new guy because you don't want to do the opposite of what John thinks. And John says they're not taking a step back. If you bring in a rookie quarterback, you're taking a step back in hopes that you have found a Brock Purdy or a C.J. Stroud or some wonder kid who can play a lot better than what a rookie typically plays like. If you don't want, if you want to ensure or not ensure, but give your offense the best opportunity this year with all the newness that's going on, right. you bring back some familiar faces. That's Geno, that's Lockett, that's DK. I, I believe all three of your tight ends are, are uh, free agents this year. you got to bring a lot of that back because the things that you would bring back are the things that made this job attractive for Ryan Grubb. Well, and can I add on, and only because I've seen, I'm have not seeing it right now on the Mac and Jack's text line bump, but I have seen it before. When we've talked about the benefits of having a veteran quarterback, whether it's Drew, whether it's Geno, um, and particularly Geno, but just having a veteran quarterback here, a lot of the um, feedback that I see is, well, what does it matter if it's a veteran or a rookie? It's a new system for everyone. It's not like someone who knows the offense. But your pushback is, but there is a difference, even with a new offense between a veteran and a rookie. Especially with Geno. Geno, Giants, Jets, uh, Chargers, now Seattle. At minimum, that's four different playbooks he had to learn. Four different. So he, he's done this before. What is a rookie? A rookie typically now is going to change here in the future because the NIL on the portal kind of switches things up. But typically, your rookie quarterback has had one playbook for four years. Right? And he's typically been the best player on that field, too, for those four years. It's just a different type of game. So you need a guy who's proven that he can adjust. And again, not saying that a rookie can't do it. I'm just weighing the odds and the options. And I look at Geno. He is the best option. He has done this before, and um, I expect him to do it again. Let's ask Robert Turbin what he thinks about the Hawks rolling things back with Geno and Drew. That's next.